Hello, and welcome to the Signpost Inn podcast, a space at life's crossroads to connect with God and find direction. Pour yourself a drink, grab a seat, and join us on the back porch for a friendly conversation about Christian prayer, spirituality, and faithful theology. My name's Matt. And I'm Brandon, and we're really glad you're here. The Signpost Inn podcast is brought to you by the Signpost Inn ministry, where we offer spiritual direction, retreats and sabbatical residencies, and lots of resources and training. You can find out more about what we do and support us by visiting signpostin.org. This is part two of my conversation with Adam Hensley about the Psalms. So if you missed the last episode, you should probably go back and listen to that one before listening to this one, since we pick up in the middle of our conversation. But just before we jump into the conversation today, I want to tell you about the new things that are happening at Signpost Inn. We have two new team members who have joined us as part of our expansion project for 2022. We have a lot of big plans and a lot of cool things coming out, including online classes, online resources, more prayer retreats, more capacity for people to join in in our ministries, and just a ton of cool stuff. And so we've brought on some staff. Of course, we need to be fully funded for this to work, and so we're looking for your help. If you'd like to help support this podcast and all the other ministry work that Signpost In does, please join us at signpostin.org slash donate. We need to raise a significant amount for our 2022 budget to be able to be sustainable throughout the year and into the future. Your donations today are going to help a lot of people connect with God and find direction. Please join us at signpostin.org slash donate. And now, here's the show. In so many ways, I think we we kind of we also need to hear the Psalms as as the voice of Christ leading us in prayer, like you say, and that uh, because Christ prayed them in just the way you know, you've articulated there, he he prayed them his prayers, so we um, we get to join in that. And for me to be invited to pray with him, to be invited into that story is really powerful, and I think that's what I. Like that kind of clicked something for me because one of the questions is I I have struggled and I know many people who have struggled with those psalms that man the psalms that talk about how God is going to be good to the to the righteous person and punish the wicked and I can remember even as a kid struggling with some of those how can I pray this you know I can't say I am a righteous person so look at me and <laughs> but you know and I'm wondering if that that seems to be the connection for me which is. I can certainly hear that as Jesus's words and to be invited to pray along with him now as part of, you know, as, as one of his chosen ones. As one justified, mm. as one who is set right. That's right. Um, yeah, there's something else about the righteousness of uh, the righteous in the Psalms. Um, yeah, you think about how often David identifies with the righteous. Now we're talking about, I'm going to the earlier part of the Psalms where we've got a particular and obvious focus on the David of um, 1st, 2nd Samuel. Um, the same David who prays Psalm 51, you know, this is a great lament. Uh, he's, he's just committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered Uriah, the Hittite, her husband, and Nathan the prophet has come in and, and told him, uh, you know, sin exposed that to him so that he could uh, perceive it. Uh, and then you get this lament, this penitential lament. This is the same David who who identifies with the righteous in the Psalms. Now, what is it that makes the righteous the righteous? 
it's not their moral success. It's where they put their faith. It's where they take refuge. They take refuge in the Lord. Uh, in fact, at the end of Psalm 2, you have this beautiful little um, verse in verse 12 there. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. They are the righteous. And actually, if you go back to the beginning of the first Psalm, blessed is the man who, <laughs> and then it goes on to describe the righteous. Uh, now, in the first instance, it's Christ, yes. But by the end of Psalm 2, we see ourselves in relation to God through his Messiah, through Christ, as a people who take refuge in him. And in that, we're accounted righteous. You know, we're accounted right. So it's the righteousness of faith that we learn about from St. Paul, but it's practicing the righteousness of faith. Uh, so here's, here's one of those wonderful places where New Testament teaching and Old Testament um, if you like religiosity, faith and practice are one and the same. You know, there's not, it's not like this, you know, sometimes you get this kind of caricature where the Old Testament is all kind of legalism and all, you know, um, sort of works righteousness and set the standard, live up to it and uh, nobody can, so we need a new. It's not like that, not like that at all. Um, you know, those who, who keep God's law, treasure it, they, 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 they yearn for it they're not claiming to have mastered it in and, and never have fallen, but they seek refuge in the God who forgives and they, uh, they, they love and they treasure the word of God. It's exactly what Paul, by the way, would urge us to do. It, yeah. Uh, and the, like I hear the connection there to the learning to pray by doing, and, and, and maybe even to state it in different words, learning to take refuge in God by taking refuge. And which is something I've experienced, as I said, in the last few years, so deeply with the Psalms, where I'll run across a Psalm that at that moment says words that I need to say, but there's, but now I have this different language of, it's like it invited me into something deeper where my, where I could say, no, I mean these words. I didn't know I needed to take refuge in you this way. I didn't know I needed to talk to you this way and ha and give this to you this way, but here it is. And there's something more than an intellectual thing happening. There's yes. kind of an internal surrender in the words. That's what I'm hearing. And like, what can I learn from the Psalms? Well, one of the things is I can learn what it feels like, <laughs> what it, what the internal movement of surrender and refuge is like, which to me, that's super cool that that's also then that's the movement of what yeah. makes me righteous. It's, it's not even the, that's not the movement that makes me righteous. It's the, it's the surrendering to the righteousness of God coming to me. Like I'm just sort of laying myself saying, yeah, but you speak righteousness over me. So I'm going to take refuge in that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, exactly right. And I think of how children learn to talk at first, they're kind of, copying you know they're hearing words and they they're repeating them as as children grow they they learn what the what words mean how they work how to use them it's like that with our prayer lives we we're taught first of all by by doing by saying by repeating and then the more we inhabit those words the more we practice them use them the more they form us and i think that's the key movement isn't it that you're talking about it's it's scripture the spirit through the word forming us rather than some sort of a me kind of inventing my own spirituality here. You know, that's, I think, pretty popular to think about spirituality in that way. Is it something that comes from within? Well, actually, this is coming from without, from the external word and working on us 
in, on the inside as we uh, are formed and, and taught how to lament, to pray, to give thanks, to, to praise. It strikes me that some of the struggles that we have that I've, I've encountered with the Psalms is it's almost as if I assume I should already know how to pray before I get to the Psalms. So I get there, I'll read one, and I don't know what to do with it. And so I just sort of, well, maybe I should learn some moral lesson from it today. But what I hear you saying is much more free and easy, which is like, would this be the advice? It's like, you don't need to know how to pray. All you really need to know is how to read. Just keep reading them. Just keep speaking them. And like a little child, at first you you say the words, you don't even really know what they mean. They kind of just come, but there's that growth. And eventually what actually happens is not just that you understand the words, but the spiritual movements of faith that the words are expressing start to become your expressions. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's right. They, they The word inhabits you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> um, a great reversal of it. Yeah. yeah. That's right. And, and and so the spirit inhabits you. I mean, you know, Paul tells us the spirit intercedes for us with moans, you know, that can't be expressed. At the same time, he gives us real words for us to, to use, to latch on to and, and to use. And, and of course, the more we um, we inhabit them, the more we get to know them and have them to use ourselves in, in circumstances where we mightn't have a Bible in front of us. Yeah. And to that end, by the way, I find very helpful. I mentioned before, it's a bit of an occupational hazard for me to, to sort of want to slip into study mode when, instead of what we're talking about here. Um, what I found very helpful, and maybe your listeners will find this helpful too, is to find a good audio book of the Psalms being re- read to you, read well, and just imbibe them, listen to them on a walk or um, wherever you wherever you find that helpful uh, because you sort of you receive the word from outside of you again and you and of course the more you hear it the more familiar those words become and you can kind of follow along in a more um, cognizant way Uh, so and I find that very helpful uh, too just to sort of yeah help me to to pray them um, to have someone lead me in the prayer of that is the Psalms as I walk or as I rest or whatever I'm doing yeah I, I I have done that too and found it very, it brings them to me in a different way. Uh, and yeah, I've even found at times what the, the, uh, the reader will just have an emotional intonation to one of the words that I hadn't put there. And it clicks for me in a way that's like, Oh, Oh <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. And if you think about the way we use psalmody in divine service in, in worship, public worship, there's oftentimes a choir will, will, sing or a cantor, or maybe they'll be read or spoken by someone. Sometimes we speak them responsively. But in, in all these different ways, we are kind of being led to to pray them. And it's a reminder too that it's a corporate act. You know, and even when we're reading, we're praying the Psalms individually, we're never just individuals. We're, we're part of a, the body of Christ and we pray them with others. So it's a good concrete reminder of that. But it's the same kind of thing, uh, you know, where, where you, you're kind of led in the praying of the Psalms in our public worship and just by in the nature of public worship is sort of the best way to do it. Now, we can transfer that to our personal devotional lives too in this way, I think, just by, by he- hearing them read to us. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for that. Um, as we kind of wind this down... Um, one of the questions I ask everybody that I want to make sure I ask you is just the question. Are there questions that I should be asking you that I haven't? Like, is there something that you really wish I had asked? <laughs> oh, right. Well, um, 
yeah, I guess there's a we've talked a lot about the Psalms individually and corporately. Um, of course, you know, just to go back to some of your first questions about what are the Psalms, you know, we, we, we read them and they often strike us as individual prayers and all that, but they're also communal, like in their very use in the in Old Testament times. They were used at the temple, um, say in First Chronicles 16, you'll read how David has institutes the Levitical choir. And what the choir does what the choir does is to to uh, to lead the congregation in psalmody, and interestingly, uh, some of the psalms that are are appointed for that particular occasion, which is the the setting it down of the ark in its new home in Jerusalem, the installation of the ark there, uh, are Psalm 105 and 96 and 106, all of which are anonymous and yet are done by David's authority. And this is one of the reasons I think that sometimes we, you know, even the anonymous psalms, we can, we should hear uh, the sort of Davidic voice behind them, even if they're voiced by the Levitical choir. They, they, they're spoken with uh, Davidic authority, with the, you know, the authority of, of David, and, and so they, they sit very well in the mouth of Christ himself too. Um, so it's, I guess it's, it's that point of the, uh, the corporate nature of psalmody, from the very beginning as well. Yes, there are a lot of individual songs and prayers, but oftentimes these would be used corporately uh, in temple worship. And um, and that's important for us to remember that what we do with the Psalms when we pray them corporately is not some novelty. It's actually continuing their, their natural use uh, as Israel used them. Another question is, and I think this might be a question for a lot of people is, and I think it might've been one of the questions you, you sent me actually, is what about the mean Psalms? Yeah. I had I I I would like to talk about that. I forgot that I had that question there and didn't see it. So yeah, well let me let me ask that question this way. There are there are psalms that say a lot of really seemingly horrible things about what God should do to our enemies. <laughs> There's no seemingly about it, <laughs> right? Um, and I think I I don't know what most people's hang up with that is, but I know what my hang up with it is. <laughs> <laughs> and and my hang up with it is one it feels wrong to ask that f- about someone and then two i question the goodness of god who would sanction such things sure yeah yeah no i i can i can relate actually i mean i i know i've thought gee i mean i, I that's a bit far isn't it <laughs> what strikes me when i read them okay maybe we can stop it you know just stop them from hurting me but you know break their teeth and you know all this other stuff that gets quite vivid doesn't it that's right well let me let me sort of get into this there's a few different um elements that i'd like to raise that i think help us uh, understand what the psalms are doing and importantly what they're not doing i think this is it's, it's what they're not about that's probably as important as anything in this kind of question um this is not instruction for instance on how you should undertake your neighborly relations. You know, God is not saying go and take your baseball bat and 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 you know bash your neighbor's teeth in because they're oppressing you. What is the psalm actually doing? Or should I say, what is the psalmist, the prayer of the psalm? They are actually bringing this lament to God. It's spoken to God. We can't forget that. It's not spoken to anybody else. It's it's a classic distinction between lament and and grumbling. Uh, when we grumble, we tend to grumble 
as, as a, a friend of mine once said, sideways, sideways talk. We kind of grumble about someone to other people. You know, we, we kind of multiply the problem. We, we might slander them. We might tell the truth about them, but we kind of, we certainly don't explain anything in the kindest way. Or, or, or But complaint or lament, on the other hand, takes the problem to God or directly to the person it might affect in, you know, if we're just talking about reconciling with somebody. We don't talk about them. We talk to them with it. Now, when we think about the complaints and laments we have in the Psalms, this is often not not possible, or, or maybe it is possible, but it's not what the Psalms are about. What they're doing is they're taking the complaint directly to God. The God, God who is the God of justice, who will one day set all things right, who has set us right. That's what we mean when we talk about being made righteous, being justified. We, we are ourselves people who need to be set right. And so that's what the psalmist is doing, putting, putting this problem in God's hands and therefore not taking it upon themselves to do any of this stuff. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Well, here's how we live that out at our end. Yes, it is yours, God. Take vengeance. Do whatever you've got to do. I'm, I'm really stuck here. <laughs> um, um, and and we, we can say those things. We're invited to say those things. Now, it does sound, that, that's the shocking bit, I know. But we're not, we're not expected to make stuff up, to put on our spiritual makeup or, you know, do our spiritual hair or whatever this looks like, or to already know how to pray, to sort of pick up on a theme you mentioned earlier. We're not expect to be, expected to be the kind of, yes, I've got this handled, I've got this worked out on my own, now I'm going to come to God. God receives us as we are, at our worst, and there's something really comforting about that because we need it. We, we can't fix ourselves. Uh, and, and oftentimes the, the kind of injustices and the, 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 the oppressions, the struggles that we face at the hands of others, there's just no sugarcoating it. This is what the Psalms encourage us to do, not to sugarcoat anything, but just to put it before God as it is helping us to do that perhaps in ways that we wouldn't dare do of our own, you know, of our own sort of volition. Now, another important distinction here, though, can, is... Can I pause you on that really quick? Oh, sure, sure. Hold on to that other important distinction, because I do want to hear that. I, it just strikes me that in... So in the context where I'm sitting with people in spiritual direction, it's been described to me that some of the job is just to hold shame at bay long enough for us to kind of hear our own thoughts, to feel our own feelings. And I've noticed how difficult it can be for us to, I'm really ticked off about this. And there needs to be a space where I can just express that safely. And I think that's the, like, that's so encouraging to hear that in some sense, that, that, that God is opening that space for me. And I once had a counselor advise me to go write in my journal all the horrible things I wanted to say to somebody. And he made it very clear. He's like, there's a safe place to express this and there is an unsafe place. And the unsafe place is to go tell them all this stuff. The unsafe right. thing is to go tell your friends all this stuff. The safe space is here in your journal with God. And I just, I find that so comforting that I don't have to, like you said, I don't have to come at God and check myself. <laughs> Because I can just say it and you know what? Break his teeth and do horrible things to him. 
And if he, and if, and I can let that be, if God thinks that should happen, then he can do it. But otherwise, <laughs> you know, I don't have to fight that. I just, anyway, I just had needed to word, verbalize that because that's so freeing to me that God isn't, gives me that space to talk like that. Yes, he does. And, and that's, I think that's, yeah, God knows us more really and truly than we know ourselves. And I think sometimes that's why the laments are, are more daring you know, these imprecations, we call them imprecations, that's a technical word for it, but you know, the, the, those places in, off, you, they're lament psalms, but they're lament psalms with a, with a little bit of, well, the lament psalms on, on steroids, aren't they? They're the ones that add the extra kind of, you know, do this to the, my enemies and, you know, judge them. Um, yeah, God knows us better than we know ourselves, and we need, we need to um, oftentimes verbalize this stuff when we don't realize we need it and say it. It's just the way of it. Yeah. Okay. So what's the second one? The other distinction is the enemies aren't named. They remain nameless in the Psalms. Now that, that, that obviously allows the Psalms to be appropriated by anybody. But the other thing is, it's a, I think it's a, sim, uh, a signal that we ultimately have no human enemies. That, But as Ephesians 6 it says, our you know, enemy. The enemy really are the principalities, the powers, the spiritual forces, and for us, it's it's often difficult to distinguish the person who's slandering us, who's persecuting us, who's oppressing us, who's done violence against us, abused us, whatever it is, from the spiritual forces at work, and and I think that's where the real side of it comes in. You know that, where we have to just say it as it is, and the Psalms, these Psalms, encourage us to do that. But there's an ultimate sort of distinction here between, if you like, the sinner and the sin, the oppression, and the the human being who's doing it. And it's pointing to a a very real and dangerous reality at that for that person, and that is that they are they are not doing God's work when they do this. And it's naming it as such. You know, there's no room for, if you like, an indifference or a neutrality in this sort of, if you like, spiritual warfare that we're talking about. Um, this is an oppressive force that's it's coming against us in one way, and it's coming at the hands of, of another person. And we need to name that, be honest about that. But at the same time, the Psalms sort of show us a view that says, you know, that person is not our ultimate enemy. It's it's Satan, you know. He's the true enemy, the enemy with a capital E. And I, I think that's that's a very important distinction because it, it does allow us, and especially when we, you know, we don't just stop with the imprecation psalms. We keep reading the book of Psalms, and we find ourselves in the end praising God. Right by the time we get to those last five psalms, but before that, even you know, we give thanks to God. There's all sorts of thanksgiving and praise uh, throughout the psalms. We're taught to do that too in the midst of our persecutions. And, and we're reminded of the ultimate victory that Christ has over that enemy with a capital E. Well, remember, Christ is praying this with us, and uh, you can be sure that he knows the distinction well. You know, He says of those who are crucifying him, uh, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You, you could say, uh, forgive them for they don't know who they're working for. <laughs> um, but, but as for judgment against the great enemy, well, that's what the cross is all about too, isn't it? it it's, it's about judging Satan and all, all evil, you know, putting sin to death, putting all of that to death and doing away with it uh, in order to redeem 
also our enemies or those who we might think of as our enemies uh hmm. yeah that's cool I, I it i think i had always kind of spiritualized those psalms a little too much like i can pray these if it's if i keep it about the sin like if i can pray them about the s- sins that attack me or something but i hear more now that it's yeah i i think it's i think just to be yeah in the moment when we when we are so struck down and in that place where where we need to pray these psalms we just can't see the difference and god gives us space to be and to say as we need to say and he gives us words to say it we know there's a difference we don't see it in those moments. And I think that's, that there's a freedom in these Psalms to, to just say it, you know, and to know that God will set all things right. That ultimately, we take refuge in him. You know, we're righteous by faith in, his, uh, in, in him and all that he does to set all things right. And, uh, and that includes us, but it includes the broken, sinful, oppressive world in which we live as well. Well, that that anger, that calling down of curses, that that direct cursing of others, even in a prayer, is I hear that really it is an act of faith. It is a it is a movement of refuge. There's a because I can trust God enough that He'll hear what's good and right about what I say and throw away what's not, and He's not gonna, you know, He knows that I'm in that space where I can't see straight, I can't feel straight, I don't, and I need to be talking to him. I need him. And I just, that, that makes sense. I can understand how I could, how I could pray those kinds of harsh things in a kind of open-handed way. You know, it's a very much a do with me and this other person. Here's what I'd like you to do. But, but, but the, but the internal movement underneath the, here's what I'd like you to do is really a, but do it, do as you know best because you are God. Right. It's an act of surrender. And, you know, it gets back to what I said first here. What is the psalmist doing? He's handing this over and himself over, herself over to the God who can make all things right. Uh, it's an, the ultimate act of trust, really. It's faith in action in the only way it can be active when you're feeling completely messed up. I mean, you're hardly on a mountaintop ready to sing, you know, hymns of praises at this point. But you are actually praising God because you're, you're acknowledging him as the source of all good, the source of all justice, uh, and you're enacting what that means, right, where you are in that moment. Well, there's a real act of praise, too, of really trusting that God will treat you according to his loving kindness, even when I bring my, my big load of poop. <laughs> but, I mean, even when I really bring... And I, I have found such comfort in this lately that when I bring all of the stuff that's messed up in me, all of the anger, all of the, it just all of that confusion, it's a real praise to say to him, but I know you're good enough to handle it and good enough to love me anyway. And so I don't have to have a varnish, as you said. I don't have to wear my spiritual makeup because <laughs> here you got me. <laughs> and he and he wants me, and that's the that's the refuge part. That's the cool part. Um, hmm. Thanks, Adam. No, I think it. No, that's that's you're welcome. I think uh, just before we leave this topic, um, C.S. Lewis also has some really interesting reflections on this. I think, and uh, he compares the, these psalms with what you find in the pagan world, or at the, you know, contemporaneous pagan world, and he says you just don't find anything like this here. And uh, what he 
picks up, and it's I think it's another important little uh, element is that um, one should perhaps be worried if there is not a um, a real kind of indignance at, at evil doing. You know, one of the worst things that uh, worst signals for our kind of moral decline is when we're apathetic to evils that are around us. And so what he does is he, he points out the, that these psalms show a people whose consciences are pricked, you know, who are, who are aware of the things of God and, and the evils about them and who aren't just going to kind of, you know, dress themselves up for, for a little bit of a spiritual show. But they're real about it, and that, and you know, if evil and sin and, and all this is as destructive and bad and deathly as as it truly is, well, then it's going to have an effect, and um, we need a way to deal with that. We need a way to pray it. Yeah, there's also a really healthy place of being able to call evil evil and blame, and and in an appropriate way, put blame where blame should go. To be able to see someone do evil and to call it evil to blame them for that evil, not to take the God to God's job and say like, okay, now I need to avenge it. But there's something healthy I've discovered within my own self of being able to say what that person did was bad. I have, that's something I've had to be taught how to do rather than all the mental gymnastics I did about, I can't say that because that's not loving. Well, actually it kind of is because it actually names things as they really are. Yes, that's right. In fact, this is one of the indictments of Isaiah. On you know, in, in Isaiah uh, five, he says, "You know, woe to you who call good evil and evil good, right? Who invert good and evil." Um, we need to be able to name good and evil, and of course, we're not making up what good and evil are. We we receive that from God's instruction. So, in many ways, uh, as we we talk about this, we're talking about what what we receive, what we learn from God ourselves as, as that which is good and enabling us to name it and therefore able to, to connect the dots. Why is it that, that I feel so bad when this has been done? Well, because it's evil. <laughs> or, or why is it that I feel so bad for something I've done uh, because it's evil and this is what confession of sin is? It's, it's telling the truth. Um, the truth sets us free, uh, but our, our kind of resistance to telling that truth, to naming good and evil as they are, uh, that keeps us in bondage. And, uh, and so this is really about freedom, you know, freeing us from that kind of captivity. There's something in there about one of the things that these Psalms can teach us, I, I hear, is how to name... so. In my realm of a lot of the Christians that I deal with, very good at naming their own evil, feeling a lot of guilt over it, struggling to hear the gospel. But there's this whole other related area of naming evil, which the world is really bad at, which is naming true evil out there that's done in a way that is still loving and still trusting, right? Rather than burn it all down, let's go take matters into our own hands. Um, that there's something, there's a much more Christ-like, I, I see the meshing between love and being able to, the imprecatory psalm fitting so well, because when I bring this complaint to God, when I bring this anger to God, I am simultaneously accurately naming evil and handing it over to God and not taking responsibility for it. And that is such a, boy, that's a lost art. <laughs> that's a lost movement in so many of our lives. 
Yes. Yeah. Adam, thank you for this. This was extremely enlightening and fun. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about all of this. No, my pleasure. Thank you. Um, yeah. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. And may the grace of Christ go with you wherever the road takes you. Amen. Thanks for listening today. At Signpost N, we believe that the most significant person is the one sitting across from you right now. Everyone has a deep desire to be known, to be accepted, to be supported as we seek to connect with God. We also know that everyone needs help deepening their connection with God, no matter how long they've been on the spiritual journey with Him. That's why our mission is to be an inn at the crossroads of life. We are a place where the lights are on, and people are glad to see you no matter who you are or where you've been. We are for pastors, parents, young people, old people, and anyone who wants to know God better and experience the peace of His presence. We don't have a special curriculum or our own programs. Instead, we offer authentic relationships and prayerful support. We don't have the answers for your life, but we know that God does and that everyone needs a friend or two to help them attend to God and courageously follow Him wherever He's calling. If this resonates with you, please help us grow in 2022 by supporting us with a monthly donation. Your monthly donation does more than just keep our lights on. It makes it possible for us to fully devote ourselves to serving others. Thank you. You can make a donation at signpostin.org donate.